NapaBroadcasting.com, Napa Valley Radio, for the way we live now. Thanks for joining us here on Napa Broadcasting. It's been an interesting, perfect storm. National politics is consuming tons of our attention. Punditry on the presidential race has become a kind of national obsession. And local media coverage around much of the country continues to shrink. As a result, many local communities are increasingly losing the power to set an agenda for what matters. The good news is, though, that it's not happening here in Napa County. Access to our elected officials, community-wide participation, and visible progress are all alive and well here. And few understand this better than Alfredo Pedroza, a former Napa City Council member, now in his sixth year on the Board of Supervisors. He's currently running for re-election to his 4th District Supervisorial seat, and it is my pleasure to welcome Alfredo back to Napa Broadcasting. Alfredo, thanks so much for coming in. Good morning, Jeff. Thanks for having me back. I appreciate the honor. Well, it's great to have you here. This is your second full race for the board. How is this one different? Every race, whether you have a strong opponent, weak opponent, it doesn't matter. There's always a flavor, a feel to a race. Because a community changes over four years. Talk about how this one's different. It, it does. Look, in going back to 2012 to 2016 to now, there's a lot of commonality with the issues that we're seeing, Jeff. And I think what's helped me is, you know, we do annual town hall meetings out in the district as a way to really understand the issues, but also get a pulse for a community. And I'll tell you, the issues of housing, traffic have always been there, right? Going back to when I ran for city council and then again in 2016, I think what's different in this race in 2020 is the issue of climate change and our community wanting to participate, but not really understanding how they can participate. And that's one of the things that I've seen is how can government do a better job of creating opportunities for our community to be part of the solution, right? And that's the thirst I've seen when I've gone door to door. People really want to have participative government. Right, but it's our job to make sure they understand those opportunities. Now, uh, from a campaigning perspective, I think, you know, making it personal for a second, when Brenda and I first ran in twenty twelve, it was just her and I, no kiddos. Twenty sixteen we had a little Alfredo. Now having two kids at home, it's different, right? Because it's it's just your responsibility. You don't get out as yeah, much, but you still have the same number of neighborhoods you, to visit. You do, and uh, you try to make it a family affair, so Brenda's out been walking. But it, it just takes a different toll on you personally when you're not there as much with your kids at home. Uh, but my son, you know, I get home and says, Dad, did you go walking? That's pretty awesome, right? So it's just different personally when you have a growing family at home. And that's what's changed for us on the personal level. You talk about climate change being uh, on people's minds. How are they voicing that? You know, one of the big problems that you hear all the time from climate change activists is that it's been very difficult to get the message out, to get people to connect with the issue. What are you hearing from people on that? No, look, that's a re really great point. I think climate change tends to get weaponized. And, and what I mean by that, it, it becomes very a polarizing issue. And I think what our job is and what my job is as supervisor is how do you create opportunities within the government space where people can have those conversations? Now, this regional committee that we created, Supervisor Wank and I, and I worked together on it, was bringing our cities together. And the fact that we had all the cities participating is a remarkable accomplishment. When Sonoma County did this, they did not have 100% participation because some of the cities say, hey, look, we'll deal with it on our own. And the county, same thing. 
So I think for us was it's a it's recognition of we can do it better by working together. Now in the spaces where you're going to have the conversations of what's the best way to create meaningful change, but also understanding what's the baseline, right? What are the contributing factors to greenhouse gas emissions? So people know, right? Uh, is it reducing how many times you drive your car, right? Uh, is it electric tractors? I would say not, right? But it's really understanding the baseline and what are some of those steps that you can take forward. Is there a sense that no matter what happens in this community, it's just really a small part of, of the larger issue? It is. And, and it's not specific just to climate change, right? Whether it's housing and traffic, but I do think we have a responsibility to lead on those issues for the people that call this place home. And look, you and I know that Napa has a worldwide brand. And I think anytime we step up and do something, I think it carries more awareness. And we've done it on many different issues, whether it's farm worker housing. We've been a, a leader in the state by the models we have for creating farm worker housing. I think the same can be said with climate change. Uh, there's a lot of things that we're going to do. And the fact that we don't have a climate change plan is a concern. But the fact that Sonoma County got sued over wanting to do a climate change plan is a concern. So, look, we may have to work with our state legislators on creating a, a pilot program for Napa County to be the lead on creating a legally defensible climate change plan. That's a good thing for all of us. Uh, that That is the North Star we're chasing, but we need to create some steps to accomplish that. Talk about the nexus between climate change and all the other issues that we're used to talking about, traffic, housing, and most specifically wineries and growth here. In the yeah, look, they're all interrelated. When you talk about housing, right, when you talk about traffic, it's the fact that people can't live where they work, which is creating the traffic, is one perspective to have. And then if you're driving farther distances to work, you're creating greenhouse gas emissions. So there's a clear linkage between those issues, right? So starting with housing, we need to do more for housing. Now in the county, it's unique because we have the ag preserve, right? So we have we try to uh, have city-centric growth. So we're working with our cities to, to create these uh, regional housing credit agreements. But what we've also had some leadership on, and something I've been pretty passionate about working on myself, is making county land available um, to, for housing. So the old Sonoma Road property is a great example of how it was an underutilized property. We're surplusing it. We're making it available for housing. I think the Caltrans property on Jefferson Street is another great site that could be housing. I think our school districts also have a lot of land that can be housing. So I think it's time that we start looking at what government assets do we have that could be great housing sites where you create great livable communities. And if you do that, you're going to naturally reduce traffic, right? Now, traffic is a whole different um, issue. I serve on MTC, which is the Metropolitan Transportation Commission, have the honor of being vice chair. And it's really created a, a different perspective for me on traffic and flow and what creates traffic. And I'll tell you, there is things that we need to do on capital projects. You know, the Sosco Junction uh, $50 million project needs to happen. But one of the th neat things we're doing is we're looking at employee mobility through a different lens, using technology, and I can talk more about it later, but trying to understand where our employees live specifically, where they work specifically, what their uh, work shift is specifically, and then aggregating that data, Jeff, across multiple employers and identifying where you have a critical mass. That's what we're using with technology, and we got a million dollars from MTC to uh, provide the seed money, and then the Napa Valley Vintners and Visit Napa Valley each contributed $125,000 to create this pilot program, which is called Napa Valley Forward.
And talk a little more about that and, and really what people might expect to see as a result of that. How can that translate into something that, that affects their lives, yeah. that's visible yeah, to them? Yeah, real outcomes, right? You know, that's what we need to focus on. So here's kind of what this pilot program is trying to do is we don't have one employer that's big enough to move the needle. But we have a collective, a, a number of employees along our main arteries, Highway 29 and Silverado Trail. Right, so for example, we're working with folks at the Meritage uh, Silverado Resort uh, and all the wineries along 29 and Silverado Trail. We're aggregating, um, we have these fairs where we're inviting their employees to come in and they can sign up voluntary and we're identifying where they live, their work shifts. And now we have over 20 employers participating, over 3,000 employees in this pilot program. And what we're identifying is that, for example, there's a, 25 employees that live in American Canyon that go to work every day at 7 and leave at 4, and they're all driving their individual cars. That's a potential solution, right, if we have the right incentive. So we're looking at those things as a way, where are those critical masses? Now, if you shift people from driving their individual cars to, say, public transit if it's convenient, or you go to the private sector and say, hey, look, we got demand. Can you be the supply? Uh, is it carpooling right, with the right incentives? You're taking cars off the road, which is reducing your greenhouse gas emissions, which, by the way, is the biggest contributor right? when you talk about climate change. So those are all the intertwined benefits that we're seeing. But again, it's taken a different approach. And a shout out to Mayor Canning, because they tried this in Calistoga. They did. Right. The, the thing Maybe about, we're a little ahead of their time. They, they were. And, and I think, but we learned from that, right? You have to learn from what works and what doesn't. It's having the scale to do this in a sustainable manner. And I think that's what we're doing here. And the fact that Visit Napa Valley and, and the Napa Valley Vintners are interested, they really see the benefit also from a recruitment perspective because a lot of these employers are having to add different benefits to recruit people. If they can say, hey, we have a different mode of transportation for you, that's a benefit, right? It's a win-win-win for all of us. So that's kind of in a nutshell what this program is doing. How do you see that relative to what we know are the changing demographics of the Valley? It is an older population. We know from what's happening with the schools throughout Napa Valley Unified that there are less families, less kids in the school. We have schools closing. I mean, it's just the reality of changing demographics, but that's going to have an impact on lowering traffic all by itself and uh, another impact in, in other areas, health and human services as Absolutely. well. Absolutely. And look, it, not to get too futuristic, but... The way we move is going to change, right? Autonomous vehicles are here, right? So that's going to be a huge game changer in terms of whether people own their cars or not. But going back to what you said is spot on. The issue of our demographics and our population changing is real. And this is not something that we need to react to after it happens. We need to be more proactive. So when you see two schools closing, that's not a signal. That's a red flag that something is going on. And I really relate it back to housing. Right, Brenda and I were very fortunate to buy a home, right, um, at the downturn of the market. We were lucky, right, and we bought a three-two home with a big backyard, which was great. And then you realize, holy heck, I got to maintain this. I got to furnish this. That's not what we needed, right, as an entry-level home. And I think with housing, part of what we need to look going forward is the types of housing that's being built. Jeff, that can accommodate young families, young professionals, right, that are going to be affordable by design. We need to do more of that because, look, we do need young families in Napa for this quality of life to sustain itself and the economics to work. There's nothing wrong with getting old. But at the same time, you need people going to school, buying diapers, volunteering on PTAs, volunteering on sports, all the things that you know young families do. We need that for our community. 
Talk a little bit about growth and wineries. You know, as as somebody said, I don't think it was one of your forums, maybe uh, the other candidate forum, that there are so many issues that the county is involved in. We've touched on a few of them, but the shiny object is always wineries and growth, and, and that's been sort of front and center for so many years. There is a sense that, that there's a little more stability on that topic lately. Talk a little bit about yeah. where you see that in the scheme of things. I've had here. a chance to reflect on this issue quite a bit. Um, when I was appointed by Governor Brown, the piece in the register talked about the land use battle looming. And here we are, right? So we accepted this job knowing that this was happening. So look, as a policymaker, you have you rely on your tools that you have, like the general plan that talked about how this community is going to grow. And I know it, it's a point that sometimes doesn't get a lot of traction, but the fact is we are below our growth targets. Now, those were targets. It necessarily doesn't mean it was going to happen, but we are below how many wineries we, we were going to grow, how many vineyards we we're going to grow. Now, going back to you know, how much growth we want to have, I look at it from what can we support, right? Our infrastructure, our traffic, our housing, and you're seeing a lot of pressure points on that. Now, I don't think we're going to continue to grow as much as we've grown in the past, right? We've had a lot of factors that are attributed to this growth, a good economic cycle. Um, but now I do think part of the next Napa, you're going to see a plateauing effect, right? Where it's more about living within your means to make sure you can provide this quality of life. But I don't think it's government's job to say, hey, look, you're only going to see 550 wineries or you're only going to see a thousand more acres of vineyards, right? I think you have to look at every development application for its specific requirements and attributes. Now, what gets lost a lot is how many wineries actually or how many applications, not just wineries, vineyards, come in and don't make it through the process because they weren't appropriate, right? So to me, that's showing that not everything is getting approved. The bar for entry is pretty high in that, but as it should be. But it's not a complete everything that comes in gets approval. There's also the fact that the industry itself is changing. There's consolidation going on. And as you say, with respect to plateauing, Rob McMillan talks about how the industry is plateauing and what's happening to the wine business in general. Yeah. And look, there's different forces. There's different uh, business models um, that you're seeing that's putting different pressure points on the wine sector. But the fact is, look, we're very privileged to have these core economies in our community that provide this quality of life that we all cherish. And to their credit, they've stepped up, right? So when you talk about this traffic program, they stepped up, right? When you talk about you know housing, our industries are part of the solution. So I look at the private sector as a partner in creating new solutions. Now, there are some unintended consequences of these success that we need to manage, which is what we talked about, right? right? But I, I don't think it's government's job to say, no more growth. It's making sure that, look, we've operated a slow growth model if, if we're to be uh, candid. Now it's making sure that the growth is working for you and I and the people that live here. Talk a little bit about the aftermath of the fires. I know you, it's something you've been deeply involved in because your district suffered uh, quite a bit of damage from them. And I know you've been, been on top of how people have been recovering from that. Yeah. So look, in my district, over 450 homes were lost. And those are, you know, it's a, it's a statistic to throw out there, but those are real people that were displaced and impacted by the fires. And here's the best stat I can tell you. Over 51% of the folks that lost their home have an application to rebuild. Right. I think that's a pretty powerful number. You know, these are people that are willing to reinvest in their community, in their neighborhoods. When you look at uh, statewide disasters, what the rebuild rate is, it's anywhere from 50 to 60 percent. We're two years after and we're already at 51 percent. 
I anticipate that we'll surpass the state average, which is great. Now, you're not going to see 100% because some people saw this as an opportunity to downsize, which is okay. They're still choosing to live in Napa. But it's been a hard, right? As, as someone that had to jump in and try to say, how do you help people with disaster? And look, there's no manual that you go back and say, okay, as a supervisor, when disaster strikes, this is what you do. There is nothing, right? You, you, you step up and you try to f- help people. Uh, and we did things at the county, the streamlined ordinance. We reduced fees in my district. We've waived fees to the tune of $1.3 million for fire survivors. Uh, I've learned a little bit about geotesting, uh, soil samples, fire trellis, uh, baseboards, and so forth uh, to try to help people. And I think our staff, uh, while it hasn't per- been perfect, has done a good job to try to help people. And this morning we had a chance to someone to ask for help and I sent them a quick text of, your permit's ready, right? You get to do those type of things and, and that's very gratifying. But I know there's people on the other side that are very appreciative of pe- just folks trying to help them get back in their homes as quickly as possible. And there's been pressures of the cost of rebuilding has right. increased significantly. Uh, people were people that were not underinsured became underinsured after the cost of rebuilding escalated so significantly, right? So, so those are some of the pressure points that uh, I see that are beyond the control of the county. But in terms of what we can control, we need to do a better job of making sure we're helping people get back home. Have we moved on as a county in terms of our politics, in terms of the issues? Have we moved on from Measure C at this point? I don't think so. Uh, and look, Measure C was a charged issue, and, and uh, as you know, I, I didn't support it for, for many reasons. And the Board of Supervisors, uh, to our credit, came and had the discussion. And look, we, we, we didn't make everyone happy, and I think that's a testament that we made progress. And the fact is, after our ordinance, more trees are being protected. Uh, we did institute and codified setbacks from streams. We did increase replants. People can argue that's that's not enough, but the board did take action while respecting property rights, while respecting that agriculture is the highest and best use of our lands, which is what NAP is about. So I think we did show leadership. Now, I think there's still folks that weren't content that are still talking about the county needs to do more. And what I've said is I'm always willing to keep an open mind to that, but we've also need to make sure that we have the science and the data to validate the next steps. And to that point, the county working with the city, Meritech and I came together to work on the joint watershed study where we're monitoring wells in our watersheds to make sure that the water quality is protected and that our watersheds are healthy. So we're doing the things that we need to do to make sure we can tell you and, and everyone else, here's what's really happening on the ground, and here's why or why not we should do more. You've been on the board now uh, just a little over five years. What's been the most difficult thing that you faced on the board? You know what? I, I think the the fire uh, aspect of it, you know, Jeff, has been the hardest because the devastation in our district was something that I'd never seen before. Right. And I live out there. So I saw neighbors lose their homes. And there were moments where you you feel helpless, right? Because the daunting challenge of rebuilding. And I I still remember this very vividly. Our first meeting after the fire in Silverado, over 200 people were there. I asked how many people had rebuilt, had ever rebuilt a home. Out of that, only two to three people, you know, uh, had a hand up. That was very telling to me of what my priorities were going to be going forward of helping people that had never rebuilt a home before. And now they were in their 70s, 80s, going through this process, a tight labor market. You add all those variables, 
that was one of the hardest things I've had to deal with of how do you be an effective supervisor? How do you be an effective representative for the people that need help the most? Because we can argue about growth, by the way, but when you lose your home and you don't know where you're going to go, that's a different set of issues with a different sense of urgency. And that's what was really on my plate that required me to try to learn a little bit more about rebuilding and construction to try to be a better advocate. How have your attitudes about anything, whether it's traffic, whether it's housing, whether it's wineries and growth, how have your views changed, do you think, or shifted at all in the five years you've been on the board? Look, I think um, what's changed for me is having been a city council member to a board of supervisor has given me a different lens on how our communities grow and develop, right? And, and I think what I see now is a need to make sure that we're working more closely with our cities because it's not just, when people talk about growth, it's growth of something, right? And sometimes people will say it's wineries, but they're reacting to a new housing development, another hotel, right? So we need to do a better job of understanding how our successes are interconnected from the county and city and also telling the story of this is what it does for folks, right? You know, when last year or two years ago, when we went to Visnap Valley and they stepped up to generate $5 million by increasing the transit occupancy tax 1%, they stepped up. You don't see that in every community, right? Um, but that's when I saw that our successes and problems and challenges are intertwined. Now, as a city council member, it's hard to see that because it's just city limits. Now, as a supervisor, I think that's what's influenced my view on some of these issues and why I believe we need a regional approach on some of them because to really actually create the best outcome, you need people to work together on it because the county can't do it alone and the city can't do it alone. Are you concerned about corporate consolidation coming to the wine industry? We've seen more and more of it. There are some people that are worried about it. Yeah, look, uh, I think that's the free market uh, at work, and I think we have to be mindful um, of what government's role is in that. I think that consolidations naturally happen. I came, you know, I come from the the finance sector, and I was part of mergers. I was part of acquisitions, and and I saw what mergers and acquisitions actually did to be able to help people reach their financial goals. So I, I've seen the benefits of it. Now at the same time, there's a value for uh, small community banks. I would say right, and and I use that example with what's happening in the wine industry is I think there's a role for uh, the corporate consolidations and I also think there's a role and a need for the small mom and pop in a wine experience. So I just think we need to be mindful. I just don't think it's government's job to interfere with some of the free market pressures that are facing. And if that happens, then I think it's government's job to create opportunities for new entrants to come in, right, that are part of our vision. And it may be the small farmers. It may be that, you know, next great winemaker that is so passionate about Napa that we need them here, right? So I think it's more about what opportunities we create, not so much about what we regulate on the backside. Well, that's a good segue to talk about cannabis cultivation <laughs> and regulation. You yes. just set that up perfectly. Yeah, <laughs> unintended. So, look, I don't have an issue with cannabis. Prop 64 passed. Um, I did oppose a dispensary when I was on the city council at that point for the right reasons. I think it was premature. Uh, and you asked me earlier about how views changed. So my view has changed, right, uh, on cannabis. I, I've learned a little bit more about the issue. I do support the access component, and I think folks that want cannabis should have access to cannabis. So I think that's a distribution system, and that's a distribution issue that we need to address through dispensaries. On the issue of uh, commercial cultivation, I went to Santa Barbara to see how it could coexist. 
I, and this is not criticism of Santa Barbara. They did it for their own reasons. But I did not come back home saying, this is what NAPA needs to be, <laughs> right. right, to be candid. Uh, and, and it's not that I'm not willing to diversify, that uh, I don't want NAPA to miss out on the next best right. thing, but we need to be mindful of what we have. Vineyards are 9% of the total land covering in NAPA, right? And they create over $1 billion in great value, right? So a very little footprint with a big economic punch. Now, it doesn't mean that we need to be a protectionist around it, but I want to make sure that whatever comes to Napa is adding value. It's additive to this brand, to this experience. I don't. I haven't seen a model where cannabis has come in to be that. I was going to ask you that. If you've seen a model, Santa Barbara, I mean, I think it's fair to say you don't want to pick on Santa Barbara, but they did everything wrong. I mean, it's a mess. I mean, much has been written about it in a lot of places. Have you seen a model where it's been done right? No. And, and I think that's part of the challenge that we have is if you have not seen a model, we need to be mindful. Now, folks can argue, well, go be the model. And the question I would say is, do we need to be the model, right? If this is a supply issue and an access issue, let's address the access component of it, right? Now, it's not to say that Napa can never have cannabis and wine coexist. I just haven't seen a model where it can. And the, the, the risks are too high to go out and do it. Now, we can always have this opportunity down the line, right? So I would ask, what's the risk of doing it now versus what's the risk of waiting and seeing how other communities do it right? Because in Santa Barbara and other counties, they had the stacking effect, right, of the commercial grows on top of each other or next to each other, and it created some visual concerns. You heard about drift and the impacts to vineyards. You heard, I heard, and I talked to vineyard management companies that were no longer managing vineyards near cannabis because of the liability, Right. Hadn't thought about that. Right. And, and until you experience that, it's when you realize it. So as a public policymaker, I want to be informed on what uh, the impacts are and what the benefits are. And, and I just I haven't seen that in another community. So we need to continue to do more public outreach so our community knows what the intended uh, consequences are and what the intended successes are as well. As you look down the next four years, Assuming you're back on the board, what do you think the biggest challenges are going to be? I mean, obviously, we can't predict things like fires and, and, and emergencies or earthquakes or whatever. But knowing the issues that are on the table today, what do you see as the biggest challenges? Well, coming look, up? look, we, we got to get through March 1st. But uh, I'll answer the question of, you know, here's why I'm running for another term. Um, it, the issues of traffic and housing and climate change, Jeff, are going to continue to compound. Right, and if we don't try new solutions, they're just going to get exponentially more difficult to address. And I find myself in a position to have the experience and relationships to do a lot in these areas, especially with traffic, with MTC, uh, potentially being in line to be vice to be chair of it. It's a huge honor and a huge opportunity to bring more resources to Napa. There's a lot of traffic issues in South County that we need to address. Sasko Junction is one of them, but the airport intersection is another one. Um, but what I'm really interested in is this issue of climate change that I think if we don't do something about it, it's going to keep manifesting, whether it's through initiatives or public discontent that shows up on, on the board meetings or city council meetings. I think we need to do a better job. And this committee that we've created that has 100% part participation is something I'm excited about because we have an ability to do something. We have an ability to work with our friends in Sacramento, Senator Dodd and some of the members, Cecilia Edgar Curry to create, in my opinion, a pilot model where Napa County can create a climate change plan that's legally defensible, that allows us to show leadership on this issue and, 
and it, it would trickle down to your residents in a way if this is how they can participate. That's exciting. And this is why you do public policy, to do things that haven't been done before, but you're the best leader to do that. That is what gets me going in the morning of we have an ability to be part of this change. And since I've been an elected, you know, I made a choice that I wasn't going to just go through the motions. I wasn't going to sit and wait and make a decision after the decision has was already made. I was going to get my hands involved. And when you point to the issues that this community has grappled with, we've been in, in front of it, right? Um, not just because you want to be in front of it for the sake of it, but it's the right thing to do. So whether it was Measure C, I had opinions on it, right? Uh, whether it's housing on Old Summer Road, I had opinions on it and thoughts and ideas. And same with traffic. And I think that's why you're elected to, to do this. You're here for a period of time. So make it worthwhile and actually try to create value while you're here versus just going through the motions. And then, of course, you have Measure K, which is just motherhood and apple pie. But I have to give you an opportunity yeah, to look, say no, something. No, I, I do support uh, Measure K for a lot of reasons. And, and here's, again, part of what sometimes it's hard to, to articulate. When Measure K, or the previous version, didn't pass, uh, the mayor and I came together with some of the folks that were pushing the initiative last time and said, look, here's what needs to happen. You're not going to pass this without including the cities. And by the way, we want kids to grow up outdoors like I did and we all did. So create an investment uh, that contributes more to neighborhood parks, right? There's a neighborhood park in every neighborhood, by the way. I've walked them. So do more, right? Invest in that. So we brought the, the principals together and we said, okay, look, this is what they want to do. And they did it. So I support it for those reasons. Uh, permanent preservation of Skyline Park and others is a really great thing for our community. What I would say, though, in general, we need to be sensitive to overtaxation, right? We, th that's a real issue for all of our community, right? Now, as we factor that, Measure K for me surpasses the threshold of the benefit. So we're supporting Measure K. I think we just have to be mindful of the pressures our community is facing, especially as we get older and people transition to fixed income. There's different pressure points that I've heard. And when you go door to door, it's a great pull on the community. And you start hearing some of these things, and we need to make sure we're mindful of that. But very supportive of Measure K. You still having fun doing this? We are. Look, you know, uh, we, we've had a great relationship. And I go back to, um, you know, the editorial that the Register did when I first started is they were very descriptive of young at promise. And to, to a certain point, I feel like it's not that you arrive, but you're in a position now to actually do the things that you want to uh, get done and do it in a way that builds a better community. That's exciting. That takes time, you know, that takes experience and that takes investing in relationships. So I'm excited about the issues that this community is facing and the ability to actually create some outcomes for those issues. So I still have that passion. I still have that fire in the belly for now. And, and that's why we're running, right? And I think leadership is situational too, by the way, right? And I think the situation we're in, it calls for the experience I have and the ability to deliver. So that way our residents still have the, the quality of life that they want to cherish. Alfredo Pedroza, thanks so much for coming in. All right, appreciate it, Jeff. Thank you. Keep up with all the local candidates and issues on NapaBroadcasting.com.